Club members to this episode of Fat Girl Book Club. For this meeting, we read Beauty Sick by Renee Angelm. This is actually a second part of a two-part interview that I did with Vanier Fetitis about this book. So if you haven't heard part one yet, go back and listen to that one. The reason I ended up doing this in two parts is because I had such a great conversation with Vanya and I really just, I couldn't cut any of it. So I ended up doing this in two parts. So you're going to want to go back and listen to that first one. So as we continue our discussion in this part of the interview, if you find yourself really kind of wondering how you can start to change some of your uh, thoughts about your body image, I have a freebie that you can get on my website. It's called Your Better Body Image Checklist. And if you just jump onto my website, I'll have a link in the show notes. You can grab it right there on the front page. And it gives you some really practical ideas about things you can do to change your body image right now. It's the start of a journey. Speaking of journey, let's jump into the segment I call One Fat Girl's Journey. This is where me, as a fat girl, discusses living her life through a body liberation lens and kind of some of the questions and things that have come up for me as my journey unfolds. One of the things I've been thinking about this week is the word fat. And I guess I'm trying to process my own journey here and figuring out how I came to the point where fat was no longer an evil word for me. I think I started by recognizing that dieting didn't work. And obviously for me, as some of you know, um, or if you can just guess from the nature of this podcast, I learned about that through books. And I started not just reading books that talked about how dieting will not make you healthy and dieting will not make you thin, which are the two things that dieting promises to do. And yet, that's actually not what it does. And when I read that, I fell into the trap of not believing it. So I actually looked up footnotes and sought out studies and actually did my own research. And I think for people who are really detail-oriented, this is a necessary step because you hear people talking about how it doesn't work and you think, well, yeah, fad diets don't work, but, you know, if you make slow lifestyle changes, it will work. You will lose weight. You can keep it off. And that's actually not true. And it's important to be able to dig into some of these studies to, to be able to bring that into your own beliefs. Once I kind of recognized that and then thought about my own journey and recognized how impactful dieting has been not just on on the fact that now I am significantly heavier than I was when I was dieting but on on all the different things that dieting did to impact other things in my life like my connections to other people my ability to work on other goals, my sense of self-worth and who I was as a person, my identity was all wrapped up in it. And just on an anecdotal level, I realized that actually dieting doesn't work for me. It, it actually 
it does matter that it that it doesn't work. But more importantly, it's not going to work for me. Because I think it's, it's really easy once you have all this information to go, yeah, it doesn't work. But then still be tempted by all the diets you see around you and all the people you see around you doing things like cutting sugar or, you know, trying keto or doing a uh, fast. I think once I kind of grasped that and I got a little mad about it, that's when I began to, there was other things that I could link to that, like this idea of being fat. It was sort of like, if dieting doesn't work, and I know it doesn't work, then what is so wrong about being fat? In fact, isn't it natural that if dieting doesn't work, and I have been dieting for so, so long, that my body will become fat? And why is that so wrong? So I had to really take some time with that. And I really had to think about what it means for my body to be fat. And don't get me wrong, I I still have fat phobia. I mean, just recently I tried on um, a pair of pajama pants that I hadn't worn in a while and they they didn't really fit. And that really bothered me. And I mean, you're not, you're not in your head going, oh, well, they, it really bothers me because I'm fat phobic. What, what's happening in your head is you're thinking, I really just didn't want to become that fat. <laughs> when, when that happened and when I recognized that thought, I sort of said, what's the big deal? Like you just buy another pair of pajamas. Like what, what is your other option, Jen? Because dieting is not an option. We already know that doesn't work. So it's not going to help you to go out and, um, you know, buy some diet food and start tracking your calories. That's, that's not going to help in the long run. It's going to make things worse. So while I, I haven't come to the conclusion of this journey, uh, with this word, I now do obviously call myself fat and I use that descriptor and I don't let people look at me with sad eyes when I say it and I'm okay with it. That doesn't mean I don't go through bouts of fat phobia. That doesn't mean I don't go through bouts of self-doubt about the whole thing. It just means that I've internalized that word as being a descriptor. And I'm okay with describing myself in that way. What's your journey been like with the word fat? Find me on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Look for I wish I were me and let me know your thoughts on this word. All right, don't forget to listen to the end of this episode. You will hear who the next guest is and what the next book is. And with that, I am going to read out Vanya's bio and we are going to jump into part two of our discussion about the book Beauty Sick. Vanya Fatitis is an intuitive eating counselor and a mindful eating teacher. She has been coaching and mentoring people for more than 25 years. Vanya is on a mission to free women from the grip of the insidious belief that you must be thin to be valued, powerful, in a relationship, successful, loved, and healthy. 
She wants to leave behind her a world in which beauty is irrelevant. And instead, people are owning their power, taking up space unapologetically and making the contribution only they can make. I think my family has been the biggest support for me in terms of just accepting me for who I am and it doesn't matter you know, what I look like when I get off that plane to go see them. It, it, mm. There's nothing in their eyes that changes the, mm-hmm. when they see me, um, even if I've, because there have been times in my life where I, I've gone through diet cycles, like it sounds like you have too, where I have lost astronomical amounts of weight in short periods of time mm-hmm. and they mm. gained astronomical amounts of weight in short periods of time. So um, you know, when they see me, you know, there, there could be a pretty significant difference. I mean, up to about 80 mm. pounds. So, mm, you know, mm. that's a pretty big stretch and I've never, nobody has ever, um, looked at me any different or hugged me any different, or even, you know, said, made a comment like, wow, oh, you're not, you're, you should be taking care of your health or something like that. It, it just doesn't happen. So, wow. Yeah. That is quite extraordinary actually it makes such a difference to have that support. So I know what you're saying with your husband, it makes a very big difference to know that these people love you no matter what. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of um, negative body talk that Mm. has happened in my house, but mostly towards themselves. Right. Um, So there's that kind of stuff that does Mm. happen, but when it comes Mm. to supporting and loving me, I've never felt like that's a condition of love. And that's a big deal. I think that's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, when I think about my, my grandmother, she lived on this Island in Greece and we would go there for the summer and I would start my diets around April so that by the time Mm. I saw my grandmother, I was looked the same as I did the previous summer because (laughs) when I, (laughs) if I would, get there and I hadn't gone through three months of extreme dieting you know which 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 I did towards the end when we when she was still alive and we'd go and visit her I'd then stop the dieting and um, you know weight restored and I would you know she, she would she would but she would always whether I had you know whatever I looked like the first thing she would do was scan up and down you know and then she oh would say boy. oh and you know in her greek and, and, and if she was or she'd be disparate you go oh you've picked up weight my darling oh, oh you know in her very greek accent and you know there would just be that disapproval not that she didn't love me i know that that is not true right. it wasn't a condition of love but it was disapproval yes um you know and a sort of disappointment uh, there is so much that we could go and talk about with that, but <laughs> let's talk about the book. Let's start with, cause I think a lot of this actually does fit into this book, but we should probably start with defining what beauty sick is, what it means, what it means to you, what you got out of it. Um, when she threw that term around in the book. Yes. Yes. Well, the way that I would define it is it's like a pervasive desire or attachment to be pretty or to be beautiful or to be attractive. Mm. But, but it's like, I was thinking about it kind of like the, a theme song to one's life. You know, oh. it's like it's always playing in the background or in the foreground, right? It's always playing. And it's it's, it's just there all of the time, no matter what else might be going on in one's life. It's, or you could also think about it as a filter through which you are experiencing your life. 
So yes. it's just always something that's there. But what she talks about it is is maybe a bit more, I don't know if it's a bit more extreme maybe, but she says, you know, it's when you lose sight of other aspects of your life. Yes. Um, you know, where you're, you're, but it's always that sense. I mean, they're probably, they're probably degrees of beauty sickness, right? Yes. So, but what she talks about is that sense that your appearance, that kind of expectation that your appearance is always up for evaluation at any moment, right? Your appearance is always up for evaluation, either by yourself or by other people, but you're expecting that to happen at any moment. So you always need to be ready for it. Yes. So much energy and time going into emotional energy and time going into mm. how you look. I, I think as I read this and I kind of put that into context of my own life, I recognize that there were certain parts of my life where I felt I was, um, I guess, quote unquote, sicker than others, where I could mm. see mm. how I was definitely living my life through this lens of what do other people think of me um, as opposed to living my life in order to increase my depth of, a, of being a human being. Um, and, and I feel, uh, thankfully, I feel like I have, um, as, as you were talking about that spectrum or continuum, I think I've moved, you know, mm, closer mm. to a little bit more of a balance in terms of myself, but I totally could see different parts of my life that would have fit, you know, into a very sick part of that continuum. Mm. So kind of jumping ahead on my questions, because I think it fits mm. better. What do you think mm. are some of the causes or what, when you think about what she's saying about this, what are some of the causes and per perpetrators of creating beauty sickness in the culture that we're living in? Mm. Well, there's, there's one main theme mm -hmm. of, in terms of cause and then there's lots of perpetrators but i would say there's one main theme that i understood uh, from the book and that is about objectification yes when women are not treated as human beings with thoughts and feelings and you know she says thoughts feelings desires and goals but instead they're seen as a collection of body parts or as a body and something something note that exists for the pleasure of others yes and then yes. what we do is because we've been so well trained through this and, and really, I mean, I studied art history at university and we talked all about the male gaze, you know, this goes back centuries, <laughs> you know, probably yeah. millennia, actually, yeah. you know, so this is just not a new thing, right? It's in our, if we have such a thing as a cultural DNA, objectification of women is there. Yes. But then what we do is we self-objectify. So it's like out there doesn't have to work so hard on objectifying us because we're doing a pretty good job of doing it for ourselves. Yes. So we turn it in on ourselves where we are constantly self-monitoring. And she uses the term the internal mirror. She said, you don't even need the mirror, right? Because you've got the internal mirror. Yes. And the self-objectification piece is like, when I talk to my clients about it, I say it's, it's like you are looking at yourself from the outside. So you stop experiencing your body and your life from inside of yourself. You're, it's like you are observing yourself from outside. It's almost like your eyeballs are outside of you and you're looking at yourself like that. So those are the, that, that's the kind of mechanism for beauty sickness is objectification and self-objectification. And then there's a whole bunch of 
perpetrators. Mm -hmm. That's how I see it. What about you? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, um, I agree completely. I, the objectification piece was like, she had this job where she would just stand around in skimpy clothing and people would take pictures with her. And she, oh, was, yes. she was saying she didn't have the words to explain why this felt kind of icky. And um, I think I, I have felt the same way in my own life. And now I, it feels like I can put a label on it, this objectification of, of me as a woman. I, uh, I did two bodybuilding shows in my lifetime. And um, the climax after a whole whack load of, of disordered behaviors is to stand on stage in a skimpy bikini and allow people to judge you and your body. No, not mm. judge you, really just judge your body. Like that is really all they're yeah. judging. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. And I allowed that to happen. And it was like, it felt like, um, you know, I had done all this hard work in order for me to make make myself into the best object I could be for them to be able to, to judge me in comparison to other people. So, you know, I kind of, gosh, Jen, I mean, just you hearing you say that, I've got to say, it's just really just impactful. It's quite, it's quite powerful what you just said. Well, and it's, it is, um, even today, it's a hard thing for me to um, connect, uh, with my values, because on the one hand, mm. you do spend a lot of time, energy, um, and hard work, uh, every single day doing things that are very, they are disordered, but you know, I mean, the culture tells you that they're not disordered. The culture tells you these are health behaviors and that they're going to help you to look your best on stage. So you put a lot of work into this goal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But then that is essentially what it comes down to. I stood on a stage and let people judge my body and tell me whether or not my body was good enough to move to the next level, level of being judged. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I think I felt when, when she started talking about objectification, obviously that's the first example I went to because it's so um, blatant. So blatant, yes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but it put words to what I was feeling about the whole experience. And um, yeah, you really do turn the, you, you, um, you eventually don't even need those voices to judge you. You judge yourself enough mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to try to be able to fit into that mold. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think there's a better example of beauty sickness <laughs> from my no, life. No, it's, it's a very, very poignant, very powerful, <laughs> take your breath away kind of example. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was extreme for sure. So, and so I totally agree with you. This whole idea of objectification is really the main cause. And then this mm. internalization, this body monitoring, this body surveillance keeps it going and, and, and advertisers take advantage of that and make that uh, message more clear to people that there is this idealized beauty standard that we all need to be meeting. And if we don't, they can sell you a product in order to get you there. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then the entertainment industry reinforces that 
um, and she has this beautiful term. She calls she she uses the the word symbolic annihilation, which I think is perfect. Which is really just um, in the media. Um, there's no there's there's very little diversity, right? So there's there are whole groups of people who are symbolically annihilated yes. in the entertainment industry and and in the media and advertising. Um, you know, um, yeah. So so then what we see are um, a lot of images of this idealized body and and not just body face you know the whole thing it's the youth it's the skin it's the body it's the whole package it's the curves in the right places um all of that um thing yes and then what i really liked her, her progression she starts talking about how that filters into family life and how mm-hmm. um you know even within our our groups of coworkers and friends and how we all begin to um, internalize this message and start with the negative body talk, um, where we get the messages from our fathers, maybe, where we get the messages um, from other people about what we're supposed to look like and and kind of what the standard is. And uh, then social media with, you know, even our friends posting on social media pictures that are photoshopped and, uh, you know, the skinny arm. She talks about the, you know, women putting their hand on their hip so that they they look skinnier, that kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love what she, what she was saying about when she was talking about social media and how um, because of all the filters and and all the things that one can do right with with selfies with your own mm-hmm. photos mm-hmm. that really what you're doing is you are creating an idealized version of yourself and you're creating a bigger disparity yes. between your real self and your online self yes. which then makes it more and more likely that we become alienated from ourselves yes yes i loved how she sort of put that whole thing together yes yes and one of the stories in that section and I can't remember the name of the young lady but she was talking Mm -hmm. about how when she puts social media pictures on she wants her virtual self to match up with her real self yeah and I thought that's like hashtag life goals like Mm -hmm. totally (laughs) that's what I want too yeah 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 There was one thing I wanted to pick up on, if that's mm-hmm. okay, yes, around please. this whole thing about about um, objectification. When she she talks about um, how sexualized images of women are processed as things in the oh, brain, yes. but not sexualized images of men are not processed as things. So she talks about. Um, this thing called configural processing for humans, which is where we recognize a face, right? To recognize whose face it is. It's not just um, seeing the parts of the face. We need to be able to see the eyes in relation to the mouth, how close to, you know, the eyes, how close are they to each other? Where is the nose in relation? Or, or, right? It's, yeah. it's a relative picture when we are um, processing human faces. But objects are processed in a different way. And human faces, if they are inverted, can't be easily recognized, right? It's much harder for us to process 
the face when they're upside down. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, I remember used yes. to doing that as a kid and, you know, you, somebody smiles upside down, yeah. looks really funny. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> but, but objects are easily recognized when they are inverted and that's called the inversion effect. Right. And they did this one study where they showed participants sexualized images of men and women who were in underwear and bathing suits and whatever. And the participants had a really hard time recognizing the upside down men, mm -hmm. but not the upside down women. And so from that, she was drawing out that the sexualized images of women are processed in the same way that we process images of things. Doesn't that just so blow your mind? It did. It did. When I read that, I, yeah, I, I had to stop, reread it. And I went, so we are, we have literally been trained now to view women yep. as objects. It's. Yep. And then she goes on to talk about how this impacts how we think about women yes. and that it's, you know, there'd be other studies and I mean, I don't remember all of the stuff, but other studies that show that actually this has, this decreases the extent to which we think about women as capable and skilled and so on. Yes. And that's just, it just blows my mind. Yes. And it felt, I have to admit, there were some parts of the book where I felt a little defeated because I thought, so no matter <laughs> how much I work on my intelligence, no matter how much I work on being a better, kinder person, does it matter? Like, is the world mm -hmm. still going to be mm -hmm. looking at me as just an object to be pretty? And I have really stepped away from a lot of these practices myself. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. does that mean I'm never going to be looked at as, as, value by certain me members of society. Mm -hmm. So there were some times when I was reading this book and I went, oh, I just feel a little defeated about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she told one of those stories. I don't remember who it was now about, um, I think there were two of them. It's of young women who grew up in, um, not, not, who who didn't grow up in sort of beauty sick families, but then moved when they sort of went to, uh, got their first jobs. I think the one was in New York city mm -hmm. and she, it kind of, it was a bit like devil wears Prada kind of analogy, right. you know, where yep. she kind of goes and, and, and she doesn't fit in with what she, what she with what yep. she's wearing, her clothes, her makeup, her hair, you know, her nails, everything's <laughs> just doesn't fit. And so she needs to, needs to in quotation marks, spend a lot of time, energy and money, yeah. um, so that she can fit in. And then I'm not sure if it was her or if there was another story, I'm sort of confusing them, I think, but, but the person was saying um, kind of what you're saying. It's like, but this is the way that it is. Yeah. And if I don't do it, then I'm not sort of um, in the running, yes. so to speak, in, in, yes. in all areas. And so in other words, I don't really have a choice to opt out. Yeah. Although then you've got Marina, who I identified with, who goes, you know, she's an attorney. She's opted out of the whole makeup thing. And she yeah. just said, yeah, I think she said something about, you know what? I think people have realized I can still do the job with no makeup on. <laughs> so I think maybe, you know, the kind of the benefit maybe of age um, and a bit of a, you know, finger up. I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this podcast, yes. but oh, a bit of a fuck you yep. to to it, you know, maybe as you get a bit older, you just think, oh, fuck it, you know, I'm just not doing that anymore. <laughs> and maybe when you are younger and it's more, 
you know, you're just starting out in your career, the pressure maybe is 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 high, and you haven't also got under your belt years of proving that you can actually do a good job at something. And so, you know, the pressure is there. Yes. Um, and and so, yeah, I there just aren't easy answers no. to this. No. Um, but I think I think where she goes, um, I mean, I'm sort of but interpreting my own stuff here maybe, but is I think the whole, in terms of how can we become more healthy instead of, you know, cure ourselves from beauty sickness, mm -hmm. um, it is about um, less attention on our appearance and, and making it matter to ourselves less. But there comes a point at which perhaps in certain areas, completely divesting like just say i had um a corporate job and i decided fuck it i'm not doing this anymore and i decided i'm not wearing a bra yeah i'm not wearing a bra and i want to wear my um you know and i really stood out in that environment not wearing a bra mm -hmm. um wearing my trackies mm -hmm or whatever, right? And, you know, not having the makeup or whatever. What's going to happen is I'm going to be drawing more attention to my appearance, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? That's true. And so it's like, where do we have the kind of balance where we are, um, either way, we're not, we're not spending an inordinate amount of time, money, and energy on something we don't want to be spending time, money, and exactly. energy on. But equally, um, we are not going so far the other side that actually we are then drawing attention again to our appearance, which is exactly yes. what isn't helpful. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's a balancing act and it's so individual. It is. It is. And there's context, you know, there is context, yes. but that doesn't mean that we can't um, um, stand up and advocate. You know, I mean, yes. some of the rules in some companies for women around their appearance is sexist <laughs> and unfair. Very much. And Very she talks much. about how, you know, for women, you know, women in working clothes are often uncomfortable. Yes. You know, constantly having to pull things down or tuck things in or, you know, walking in high heels and you've got meetings and you need to, you know, it's just why yes yeah there was so much discussion around clothing and i loved it because this mm -hmm. is one of the things i have more recently um invested in is not buying clothes that pinch or constrict or make me feel bad in any way so i've limited mm -hmm. my closet to you know because when you go shopping for clothes the tendency is you're going to find something that pinches or, and you'll go, Oh, well that looks okay, but it still pinches. So I've just walked away from that kind of thing. Um, mm. But she brings up so many valid points with, with clothing that I sort of went, yeah, mm. I'm completely on board with you on this, that we, uh, we spend way too much time in clothing that we think makes us look good, but actually takes away our mental space from being able to focus on other things because we're so busy focused on, this pinching or that, you know, untucking or how everything mm. looks. So I was completely mm. on board mm. with the clothing mm. stuff. Uh, she mm. gives us a lot of different things that we can do to combat beauty sickness. 
Um, and I'm wondering which of those things you related to, which of those things are kind of part of your journey and which of those things you're like, oh, maybe I should look at doing a little more of that. I think the most powerful thing for me is letting my deeply held values guide my life choices and my day-to-day -day actions. Mm. You know, how do I want to invest my time, energy, and money? Where do I want to invest my time, money, and energy? Um, what do I want? She, she, she gives some great questions at right, you know, right at the end yes. when she says, um, just to, you know, to ask people, well, what kind of a person do you want to be? And how do you want this world to be different when you leave it? Yes. You know, just to to align with with my deeply held values and then to take actions that line up with that, because that is what for me creates a satisfying life well lived in my books. So that is the number one thing for me. Yes. And then she also talks about. Um, oh, I just there's just so much to talk about. <laughs> I know I had to jump ahead on our, our, our questions here. Cause I'm like, we're not going to get oh all my these. God, so. no, I know, I know. But she talks about making beauty, you know, just making it less important. Um, yes. you know, she talks about how beauty is something that all human beings, you know, we beautiful sunsets or we, we do, we, we notice beauty and beauty is in, in terms of physical beauty of human beings, it is actually a thing. It is an objective yep. thing that across cultures over time, even with tiny babies, correlate what is actually beautiful, yes. you know, what, what the eye wants to linger on. But the thing is, we can't all be beautiful. No. Right? We just, it's just a reality. Yeah. And so what we need, the work is really to, to unattach from that aspiration um, to and and to to disconnect our self-worth from our appearance yes and she talks about you know over time the, these actions you need to take repeatedly over time to kind of disconnect from that yeah um yeah i mean she talks about things that i'm sure you know we all when we're doing this kind of work we talk about which is stopping the body talk just no you know it's like no i'm not, not having this conversation um anytime i mean i don't give appearance-based compliments ever i'd really i really it's sometimes it's hard because it wants yes. to come out yes but because I'm happy to see the person and they say oh you look so great or you're looking so good or you're looking well and then I want to say the same thing back, right? Because I want to just repay the client. And I just say, it's so wonderful to see you or I've missed you or, um, you know, your, your smile's just really lighting up everything around, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm trying not to be too cringy, but, you know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, just yes. Not, not doing the appearance-based anything because actually what she talks about in the book as well is that positive and negative compliments have a negative effect. End of story. Yes. And not just on the person who is receiving, but anybody who listens, which I thought was an interesting yes. point as well. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Oh, there was so much in there. There was so much in there. And I think you've done a great job of summing up some of the things that she said, especially in that last chapter about some of the things we can do. Um, but yeah, this book was just uh, uh, so much. Is, is there anything else you want to make sure that people who are listening know about the message that's in the book or about the book itself? Anything else I want? I, I really just want to encourage people to read Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, <laughs> there was, there was so much cool. there. <laughs> and you know what I love is how she, she used so many studies, but in such a digestible way. Yes. You know, it was just so easy. Oh, oh, yes. There are two things I do want to say. Yeah. The one is about media literacy. Yes. So she, she goes on this the whole chapter on media literacy and she, you know, she really kind of picks it apart with, again, a gazillion studies. But she, she, the bottom line that I got out of this is that media literacy gives us the ability to analyze media, but actually it's not really that helpful to have media literacy. And um, there was one that really just gave me goosebumps all over where she talks about parents, um, a study with parents and, and their adolescent children, and they engaged with their children by questioning the thinness of characters or their appearance and really just saying, you know, that's mm. not really, you know, people, they must have a whole team of, you know, makeup artists and whatever to look that way. Mm -hmm. And actually after that, those kids on the test, on the post-test, showed higher levels of body image disturbance and negative emotions. So even having the discussion with your children about all of that, in this study anyway, mm -hmm. turns out to be counterproductive. Why? Well, she says, because what you're doing is you're paying greater attention to the appearance. And um, it's just, images are just so powerful. And already, yeah. So, and then the other thing that 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 just stuck um, struck me is her saying that f being a feminist isn't protective against beauty sickness. Yes. You know, being able to generate critical arguments against the beauty standards still does doesn't stop women from negatively comparing themselves to the models. We have to divest ourselves from making appearance important to us. Yes. We need to limit our exposure yes. to the media messages that we get. And we need to um, start living our bodies from inside them, right? Instead of the self-objectification, which is outside of yourself, experiencing our bodies from inside. Yes. Yeah, that way. Uh, powerful. I, I mean, just powerful when she talks about all of that and connecting to your body can be done in so many different ways. Um, she does mm -hmm. talk about uh, body movement and she has a whole mm -hmm. discussion on that. Uh, I did really relate to that because um, obviously, because I went through a, a lot when it comes to exercise and I really had to change my relationship to exercise when I started to do this work, um, I now have a lot more fun with it. And I, um, I definitely relate to what she was talking about with instructors who point out appearance based motivation, as opposed to calling out fitness based motivation. I, I definitely was on board with that. So that for me, that's a main way that I connect with my body. How, in what ways do you connect with your body? Um, I connect. you mean now, how do I yes. connect with my body? Yeah. That just, that just reminds me that another thing she said was that shame 
interferes with our interoceptive awareness. So mm, body shame yes. interferes with that. So when I think about experiencing my, and I think about what I've, what I've got back is my interoceptive awareness. So how yes. I connect with my body is, well, through meditation, through walking, um, through sex, through any kind of touch, um, and just anything, the sun on my skin, I'm really aware of that. Um, in the shower, water, you know, it's just, it's, it's about being here now in yeah. your own body and experiencing what is going on. And everything we experience is through our bodies, everything. What we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we feel, emotions, thoughts, just everything. <laughs> just... I think I spent so much time in diet culture detaching from my body. Um, because when you're in diet culture, I mean, you're relying on somebody else or something else, whether that's a, a book or whatever, to tell you when to eat, how to eat, when to move your body, how to move your body. Mm -hmm. And so you don't connect with yourself as much as you should. So I think the the ability to, to um, connect with your body and um, absorb the fact that you're connecting with your body as opposed to living in your head is a really uh, valuable mm. skill to have. Mm, mm, so. mm. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, we're, <laughs> there is so much with this book. I almost so feel much like more I could go on. I know yeah. <laughs> there is so much with this. Absolutely. So I'm so glad that you brought this book to my attention like I said, this one is definitely on the Christmas list for everybody I know. Um, but before we wrap up here, can you tell people where they can find you? What kind of things you've got going on right now? Yes. Well, um, you can find me at my website, on my website, at my website, whatever. It's <laughs> peacefuleating.co.uk. Um, I have a little, a little bit of a presence on Instagram. It's not my, my sort of joy place right. um but i am there at peaceful eating i'm on facebook at peaceful eating mm -hmm. and i have got a free event coming up uh it's still in the making <laughs> i'm not sure when this episode's going to come out but um it I'm, i have a free event coming out on the 8th of june i don't yet know what it's called but it's going to be wonderful and um i would love anybody who wants to come to come um, and you can find out more about it by going to my website, peacefuleating.co.uk. I will make sure I have links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on to Fat Girl Book Club. It has been an absolute ple pleasure to be with you. And thank you for saying yes to this book. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I got so much out of this discussion with Vanya and out of this book. So please make sure you go and find it and read it and then let me know what you think about it because it it really did change a lot of things for me. If you like this episode, please make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review. This will make sure that other people find this podcast and maybe can get in on the discussions about body acceptance books. Also, don't forget about that checklist that you can pick up on my website. It's called Your Better Body Image Checklist, and there is a link to it in the show notes. All right, my next guest is going to be my very first repeat guest. I'm so excited to be welcoming back Amanda Martinez Beck. 
her and I are going to be discussing the book called Fat Shame by Amy Erdman Farrell. I think you're really going to like this discussion, so make sure that you subscribe so that you're able to listen the minute it is available. Keep reading, everyone. Everyone.